Hey, take your Bibles and open up to Mark chapter 6, and we're going to just do a brief review because it's been two weeks uh, because we had you Sunday last Sunday. By the way, I thought it was a fabulous Sunday for our church. This was great with the baptisms and everything. But we left off two weeks ago uh, where we highlighted the events recorded in Mark, and we said that those were recorded to demonstrate Jesus' superiority and... uh, we said that it demonstrated superiority over the creation, right? Remember silencing the waves and the wind and then over the spiritual realm, over the demoniac. Uh, and that guy went on to be the first missionary of the New Testament. And then uh, also over death and illness with uh, the woman who hemorrhaged and then also Jairus' daughter. And then two weeks ago, we found him uh, being rejected in and by his hometown. So not the warm reception you would expect. And then he was sending out the 12, and he was also going to other villages. And the message there was that people should repent and believe in the gospel. In other words, repentance is a big part of coming to faith in Christ and coming to know him because you have to let go of your agenda, and you have to see it the way God sees it. And that's not always the easiest thing. And we um, emphasize the need for a continual spirit of repentance uh, as we shared communion uh, two weeks ago, if you remember that. And then we mentioned that uh, this made, uh, this now had taken Jesus, what was Jesus's fledgling ministry, kind of the beginning, but word was getting out. This took and turned it uh, on much more dangerous tur- turf. And uh, we can see why when we read in Mark six fourteen, it says this, King Herod heard of it, and for Jesus, uh, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. So now we've just jumped into a bigger arena and a bigger screen. So before we do that, let's pray uh, and ask the Lord's favor this morning, and then we'll go from there. Father, thank you this morning. We would say Happy Father's Day to you, and we would recognize that Bob is having an incredible Father's Day with you. It's not so much fun for us down here, but I bet you it's a kicking good time for him. So we bless you for that. And Lord, as we come, we're, we're going to look at a couple key people uh, this morning and uh, a word for Father's Day. May it be a great encouragement to us as men. And we seek you for that and pray this in your name. Amen. All right. All right. So the king we're talking about here, the Herod we're talking about is Anipas. All right. Anipas is one of the sons of Herod the Great, Anipas is the one that Jesus called the fox. He was known for his guile and known for his ruthless political maneuverings. And it's one thing for Jesus to kind of show up on the religious radar of the day. Uh, That was bad enough. But uh, it's an entirely different matter for Jesus to show up on the governmental radar of the day. Uh, Herod simply brokered no deals. All right, And uh, even the slightest whisper could get you killed. And so he was ruthless. He was a tyrant. Um, But interesting enough, when it comes to this passage in Mark, that we find a strange paralysis in him. And uh, let me show you where it comes from. It reads like this. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, well, he's Elijah. Others said, well, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. 
So the reports of Jesus and his ministry have now reached the capital. The capital here is Caesarea Philippi. All right? And so uh, that's where Herod is camping out. And a number of conjectures and opinions are going on, and, and they're offered up. Some said, you know, John has been raised from the dead. Right? You can see it in the text there. Others, he's Elijah. Other, he's like one of the prophets of old. Actually, all three of those are true. Right? But Herod, when he hears it, he weighs in on the controversy, and he picks option one. John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Fascinating. Right? What do we have here? Well, what we've got, what we have here is that Herod has a guilty conscience. And it's coming back to haunt him. Much like Lady Macbeth desperately trying to rub out the blood spot on her hands, Herod is trying to distance himself from his deeds, but he can't. Deeply superstitious, and paranoid and guilty, Herod's own mind is now beginning to play tricks on him and betray him. Right? He can't shake it. His sin, as we would say, is starting to catch up with him. And the question is, well, where did all this trouble begin? It tells the story in the following verses. It says this, For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So we see three things here. First, Herod is guilty of sexual morality of the worst kind. He's stolen his brother's wife and married her. Secondly, very implicit in the text is that Herod did not act alone. He was operating with the full and willing engagement of Herodias, his wife, herself. She was Part and parcel of this whole thing. Note that it says Herod had John bound for the sake of his wife Herodias. Just to show you the twists that exist here, in case you don't catch the full effect of this, what are we talking about? Well, Herodias, the wife, the gal, was the daughter of Aristobulus. Aristobulus was one of the four sons of Herod the Great, which means that Aristobulus and Philip and Anipus we're all brothers, right? Philip marries his niece, okay? So he married his brother's daughter. Then in a convoluted plot and scheme, and you can look up Wikipedia and read about this whole thing and find out the intrigue and the end but it reads like uh, any kind of good soap opera. Um, the wiles and guiles, Herod, Antipas is married, Philip's married to Herodias, Herod divorces his wife, Philip divorces, or Herodias divorces Philip, and then Anipus and Herodias get together, right? So you can see the kind of twists that are going on here, right? It's, it's an incredible mess. John does the really courageous thing, and he calls Herod out on his sin, knowing full well that's not going to go well for him if he does so. If you've watched movies on this, Usually how they portray this is there's a road with the royal entourage heading towards Caesarea Philippi and you can see the royal carriage and Anipus and Herodias are in the carriage and John is this solitary figure on the side of the road saying, it's not lawful for you to have her, right? You've seen those pictures before and not sure that's exactly how it went, but it's a good picture of it. And uh, Herodias approves of this whole thing. She likes the new arrangement better. And so when John reacts, uh, she reacts with vengeance 
when John calls Antipas out, right? So this is not a friendly relationship here. How do we know this? Well, it says this, And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. That's subtle, right? But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly, greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. So there's a couple of interesting dynamics going on here. Uh, how do we know that Herodias was complicit in this, this whole affair? It says she, Herodias, had a murderous grudge against John, probably because John publicly shamed her, right, in the course of this whole thing. And so she didn't take lightly to that. How dare he? But she couldn't get to him because for all his faults, uh, Herod understood that John was a godly man and he, Herod, protected him. Now, it's kind of a twisted way that he protected him. What he did was he had him arrested, had him bound and put in prison. It was the one place his wife couldn't get at him, right? Is where his wife couldn't hire assassins to go kill him. And so, in a strange way, he was protecting John in prison. And it says he loved to listen to John talk. So Herod, the king, would go down to prison and sit and listen to John talking. Wouldn't you like the videos of that? Wouldn't that be intriguing to just watch that interplay and see what actually took place there? But for all his genius and wiles, Herod couldn't understand John. He couldn't grasp. uh, He was confused by him. Uh, Just like our talk of the Bible and Jesus as Savior is foolishness to many people around us, so John baffled Herod. It was kind of just out of his ballpark, so to speak, right? He just couldn't quite, quite get it. But the reason he couldn't get it is pretty obvious. It's very similar, and it's the same thing that's operating today. Mostly he couldn't or wouldn't because he wouldn't let go of his power or his privileges or his illicit wife. In other words, there was a lot of emotional investment here. And if he said yes to John, he'd have to say no to all that stuff. And you can imagine the implications because he was all in on that stuff. And then the moment arrives. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask for me whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to half my kingdom. Now, there's some dynamics going on here as well. The daughter dancing is Salome. Salome is the daughter of Herodias and Philip. So this is not Antipas' daughter. Right? This, so, so this is a blended family kind of thing. This is stepdad. He's trying to win her over. You know how uh, that works in a blended family, right? And so you try to give them everything they want so they like you. And so Herod's trying to win her over. And... Um, Since Herodias couldn't get to John directly, she devised this indirect route by using her own daughter. Now, look how low this goes. You would use your own daughter to perpetrate the murder of a godly person. Just think how messed up that is, right? But she did that. She used her own daughter to accomplish the scheme. And so we read what happens here. Says, but she 
she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oath and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. The Expositor's Bible Counter points out something that I think is really interesting. It directs us to note that the daughter, Salome, didn't seem surprised by her mother's request at all. In other words, she was complicit on it. They had talked it over before. And uh, she was in the whole plot. And so the trap door slammed shut. says this, And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And he went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. And when the disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. So Herod here is caught between a rock and a hard place. On one hand, he wants to protect John. Something in him tells him, don't mess with this guy. Do everything you can to protect this guy. On the other side, he's in front of all the people of his commanders and the rulers. And it says the leading men of the cities around in the area of Galilee. And so there was a ton of prestige plus one other little caveat. All right. He's been trying to win Salome over and and trying to win Salome that he's a better dad than her real dad is. And if he says no, what's he going to look like to her? He's just totally leveraged. And so you have this classic situation of fear of man versus fear of God. right? And this weighs big. This is a huge thing. There's a huge emotional chunk and investment right here. Is he going to choose fear of man or, or fear of God? And he capitulates and he... And by the way, we might add he's also afraid of his wife. You get the implication there. But he capitulates and he caves into the fear of man. And thus historically will go down in history as the man who killed the forerunner of the Messiah. Can you imagine showing that up on your resume when you show up at the Last Judgment? Not good. All right? The disciples of John, they, they hear the report. They claim the body, apparently sand's head, and give it a proper burial. And thus, the Gospel of Mark actually has two passion accounts in it. first one is the passion of John, and the second one is the passion of Jesus. And passion simply means an account of a person's death. In case you, so when we talk about the passion of Christ, we're not talking about his heart emotions or anything. We're talking about the account of... Uh, what he went through as he faced death. And so here we see John had to face the same thing. Let's stop for a second and ask the question, how great was this man who we know as John the Baptist? Who exactly was this? Speaking of John, Jesus says this. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. Obviously, John was a fiery prophet, strong, very vocal, so obviously he wasn't a shaky reed, right? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. 
This is of he whom is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of woman, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. And yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This passage here, if you recognize this passage, we should, because it comes out of the Old Testament book of Malachi. Right? Remember we studied Malachi together and Jesus pulls from Malachi to identify who John is. And in Malachi, the messenger is Elijah. It says, behold, I will send you Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And so Jesus is making a connection between John's ministry and Elijah's ministry. And uh, when we stop for just a quick second, who was Elijah? Elijah was a pretty significant dude. He is considered the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. When you think of all the prophets and the people who spoke, Elijah is considered the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. He's one of only two people to have been translated into heaven. Translated means you're taken up by the Lord. In other words, they didn't face death. The only two people that that is true of is one, Enoch. Enoch was the seventh in line from Adam. And it says Enoch was and then he was no more for the Lord took him. And so Enoch and then Elijah. Elijah's uh, exit was uh, more interesting. The chariots of heaven came down, swept, swept them up off the ground and took them up into heaven. Right? And so Elijah's one of only two people to be translated uh, into heaven. And he's going to return to earth and be one of the two witnesses, or as in the book of Revelation calls it, lampstands that will be a witness during uh, the end times for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Elijah is a, a really significant dude. And here Jesus is connecting and saying, the guy you went and saw in the desert wasn't a shaky reader, just a prophet. He was in like and kind an Elijah. Right? And in Israel, that was like, pay attention, son. Right? This is a big deal. There's some, also some interesting parallels between John and Elijah. Uh, Elijah's biggest enemy was Jezebel. Remember Jezebel? She was the wife of Ahab, and uh, she was a daughter of a priest of Baal. And, and so she turned Israel to all kinds of wickedness and apostasy. And uh, it appears that Elijah was far more afraid of Jezebel. If you read the accounts, he was far more afraid of Jezebel than he was Ahab. He would go and meet and talk and connect with Ahab. Uh, with Jezebel, when she barked at him, he ran and fled. So, uh, and then we find John's enemy was Herodias, right? Uh, the wife of Herod. Elijah's ministry was to call people back to the true faith of Israel and Yahweh. John's ministry was that of the forerunner or a herald calling people to repentance and getting them to turn back to God and announcing the Messiah, Jesus. Matter of fact, John had the privilege of baptizing Jesus. Can you imagine that on your resume? Oh, yeah, I, I baptized the Lord. You know, that'd go over, right? That'd be pretty cool. Okay. And our Father's Day lessons come from both of these men as well. Let's look at some things that I think are worth pulling from this whole story. Okay, lesson number one. Lesson number one is even godly men get discouraged. Okay? We think just because you know Jesus, everything's going to go great and perfect, and you can handle it all, and it's always good, and you'll always smile, not so. We can hit some pretty discouraging times. We can hit some things. We wonder if we can make it 
into the next day, let alone the next week. Uh, we're not immune to that stuff. If you look, Elijah gets discouraged. He has the incredible campaign up on Mount Carmel against the 400 prophets of, of Baal and uh, has a victory. And Jezebel says, surely by the next, this time tomorrow, I will have his head on a stake. And Elijah flees and runs and is freaked out of his gourd and goes and hides in a cave in the wilderness. John's ministry, uh, John gets discouraged because he was thrown into prison and sent disciples to confirm Jesus' identity. Uh, he knows Herodias is out to get him, and he knows she won't let it sit. Uh, how she's going to get him, he doesn't know for sure, but he knows she will, and she eventually does. So he's in prison, right? Jesus, help me. He sends some disciples. I just want to make sure I didn't run and do this all in vain and was doing my own thing. You, you are the Messiah, right? Remember what Jesus said back? The blind see, the lame walk, go tell John. Okay? What was Jesus encouraging John? Don't lose faith. Don't lose faith. Okay? John had gotten discouraged. And guys, we can get discouraged with all the challenges that can come our way. Right? One of the laments you hear of men, uh, especially in counseling, is that nobody really understands what it's like to go through what we go through. Okay? Now, ladies will say the same thing, so we're even. right? But there is just something about the pressures and the things we face that are unique to men that uh, can buckle us if we don't handle it right. And the issue of remaining steadfast is as important for us today as it was back then. You know, we live in a culture that advocates abdicating. If you don't like it, just get out. If you don't like it, just quit. If you don't like it, just run away. If you don't like, take something so you forget the whole thing. Right? And, and, and men are doing that by the droves in our culture. I just don't like it anymore, so I'm going to go do something different. Now, that's one thing if it's raising some goldfish. Okay? It's another thing if that's your wife and family you're talking about. Right? And, and so God's encouragement to us to stay steadfast is every bit as important today as it was back then with Elijah or with John. And I think both of these guys illustrate something that's really important. And I'll just take a moment to talk about it. What they illustrate is it's hard to go it alone. Okay? When, when we're alone or isolated, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to get picked off. You know, Elijah, if you look at that story, he was by himself. He, he didn't see that there was anybody with him. John was in a different sense by himself because why? He was isolated, right? He was in prison. And so he didn't have other people around him. And, and they got into a really discouraged place. And I just want to say this morning, guys, we need other guys, right? I call it posse. You need guys to ride the trail with. We need people to walk, the, walk with. And who's your posse? Who are your friends? Who knows you? Who goes out and has coffee with you? Who talks to you? Who gets on the heart level with you? Do you have anybody? Because you are really a sitting duck if you're by yourself. You are really vulnerable, even whether you know it or not. You are set up for failure if you are by yourself. At Northview, we, we talk about don't do life alone. And it's summer, and we're coming into summer, so we're not making a big push for community groups, but we will again in fall. 
right? And you need to be with a group of people that know you. You need to be with a group that they know your heart and they can pray for you. You've got to have uh, people that you can connect with. If you're alone, you're incredibly vulnerable to the wiles of the devil and you're incredibly vulnerable to discouragement and you need a buddy. Hey, you doing okay? Yeah, you liar. Right? Because these guys will always say, how are you doing? Fine. Right? You liar. Right? Come on, let's grab coffee. What's up? What's up? Ah, man. Right? And you, But there's somebody. And I think this is a really important uh, thing. Lesson number two. Both men showed great courage in the face of daunting challenges. Okay, if you look at it, Elijah squares off against the 400 prophets of Baal. And John challenges Herod, which nobody did, right? Nobody took on Herod. That was the dumbest thing to do through the whole thing. Now, again, here's the problem with that, though. We know the end of the story, right? And so because we know the end of the story, it takes all the challenge out of it because we know how it went. And it's hard to recapture the tension of what those challenges must have looked like before they knew the end of the story. They had to face their giants. And they didn't know what the outcome was going to be. When Elijah went up on Mount Carmel, there was 400 guys against him. One. And everybody else standing on the side going, hey, let's see how this goes. Right? A lot of help they were. Those are bad odds, right? John takes on Herod by himself. That is incredibly courageous. That is incredibly daunting. And guys, God made us for that kind of stuff. Why do you think the Avengers and those kind of movies are so guys grabbed to that stuff? Because we were made for honor. Men love honor. Men, another word you could use is respect. I tell uh, young couples when they come into uh, my office for pre-marriage counseling, when they come in, I tell the gal, I said, you know that your husband would rather that you honor him more than you love him? And they look at me like, what? Well, I love him. I said, no, no, no. That's what a mom does. A mom loves her little boy. A man wants to be honored. I want to be the husband. Okay? I want you to respect me. And, and men will go through a brick wall for that okay? if they can get that from their family, from their wives, from that kind of stuff. They will do that because that's how God wired us. All right? we're, we're designed that way. And so both of these guys stood their ground in the midst of incredible daunting challenges that were facing. And from John's story, we learned even something more profound. I think it's one thing if you're Elijah and you beat you know, the 400 prophets of Baal and you get charioted up to heaven, right? Yeah, can you imagine, Elijah? You got a naughty? I got, I got the chariots of heaven, man. You know, pretty impressive deal. But John's story, I think, is even more true for us. Um, we must stay true and steadfast to our Lord Jesus, even if the circumstances go against us. And I hope this is not prophetic, but I think that's going to happen in our culture. I think it's going to turn against us. And I think we're going to have to stand. And we're going to have to be very courageous. And guys, that's got to start with us. 
Here's the added caveat to that. Even if it's unfair. Well, I would have stood for you if it had been fair. Have you noticed that most things in life aren't fair? You know, the prosperity gospel, hey, if you accept Jesus and everything will go your way, you'll get everything you want and everybody will be your friend and and you get all the riches you want and then you get to go to heaven too. Not so. It says those who desire to live in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And we've got to learn to stand even when it's unfair. Reminder, why did John get thrown in prison? He got thrown in prison for doing the right thing. I'll guarantee you the Holy Spirit talked to John. He knew. I bet you he wasn't sitting there going, wow, look at what I get to do. Right? Lucky me. I'm a special one. God loves me more than others. I get to confront Herod. I doubt that's how it went. And yet he went and did exactly what God told him to do. And what was the result? He winds up in prison. And the end result of that, he winds up literally losing his head. John died because he did the right thing. Guys, all things that are going to happen to us are not going to be fair. Have they been fair up to this point? Just checking. Right? Have they been fair at work? Have they always been fair at home? Always been fair out in the neighborhood? No. Well, right. Been fair in elections? Been fair? No. No. Okay. What would make us think it's going to be any different down the road? It's not going to be fair. So we have to learn to stand whether it's fair or not. What a guy is designed to do is stand for what's right. That's how God designed us. And in the power of spirit, we can do that. It's not about being fair. It's about what's right. What's holy? What has God asked me to do? How am I to stand for the Lord Jesus? We have to reconcile that now. The Bible says, uh, get this figured out in the green and not in the dry. What does that mean? Get it figured out while things are good because when things get bad, it's going to be too late. You aren't going to have enough time. It's going to come way too fast. It's going to happen so fast you won't have time to figure it out. You have to have this resolved long before it happens so that when it happens, you go... Okay, here we go. Got it. Know exactly what this is. I know exactly what's called for. I know what I have to do. Will it be fun? No. Will we be happy? No. Will we be holy? Yes. That's what God is calling us to. That's what John did. It was grossly unfair what happened to him. God will square the accounts. And that's where our, should, our fear should be is exactly where Herod failed. Herod weighed the fear of man versus the fear of God and he caved into the fear of man. And the fear of man involved his wife and his stepdaughter, not just the parties, the ruling parties. He caved into the fear of man. The Bible tells us to cave into the fear of God. Don't worry about man. What can man do to you? The only thing man can do to you is kill you. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Be afraid of the one who can kill your body and throw your soul into hell. That's the one you should be afraid of because if you're afraid of him, when he gets a hold of you, then he can throw your soul into heaven. But you have to decide between which is the greater fear, the fear of man or the fear of God. And the Bible is again challenging us, choose the fear of God no matter what, whether it's fair or not. Choose the fear of God. And then here's the last one. Okay, so those are kind of tough Debbie Downer kind of things, right? I got it. 
You're all looking so cheerful. And the ice cream didn't even help. All right. Here's a good one. Here's the other thing. Both of these guys finished well. Okay? Both of these guys, Elijah and John, finished well. They are guys noted for what God had called them to do. They finished well. And I think that's really important. Elijah, as we said, is caught up in the chariots to heaven and taken from this earth. That's a pretty cool reward for being obedient. Right? See ya. Right? And John stays true in prison, even to the point of dying for it, losing his head. Right? Very, very different endings, though. Most of us, I'm sure, would choose Elijah's ending rather than John's. Okay? Can you imagine showing off the chariot of heaven to your buddies? Right? Look what I got. Right? That'd be awesome. But the question this morning is this. Would we, could we, finish well for Jesus if our ending was John's rather than Elijah's? If we were asked to stand even if it was unfair. And my challenge to us this morning is let's be men of faith and let's answer yes to that. Let's be guys who think it ahead. Let's be guys who reconcile it. Let's be guys who've counted the cost and say no matter what, we will stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what, we'll not cave into the fear of man. We will cave into the fear of God. And we will stand true no matter what the pressure or the heat. May we be those kind of guys on Father's Day. All right, would you join me in prayer? Father, I was just thinking this morning about Bob being in heaven with you. And then I think about him jostling you and pointing at me and Shannon saying, yeah, those two don't let them in. It's such a trickster. But Lord, Bob did that. Bob honored you. Bob lived for you. Lord, all of us have a testimony of that. would deeply miss him. And he was a guy, Lord, who went from being a bad dad and a bad husband to a great dad and a great husband. And he would tell all of us that it was because of your redeeming work that you did in his life. That's going to be the story of that funeral on Saturday, Lord. And we ask for your power and your presence there. But for us who are still here, men today, Lord, give us guts. Give us chutzpah. Give us courage in our in our inner man to stand for you. Help us reconcile that. Help us to stand even when it's not fair. And Lord, all the battles during the week, the, the thoughts in our heads and the battles at work and the the interactions relationally that come where we're forced to make choices and, and that kind of stuff. Help us think that through of how to be steadfast and to, to reconcile that with you that even if it's not fair, it's okay. Help us, Lord, to be men who want to finish well. And we seek that uh, from you. Give us the ability in the power of your spirit. And we ask this in your name. Amen.